Welcome to Episode 7 of All in a Homeschool Day, the podcast helping you keep homeschooling real and in perspective. I'm your host, Crystal Wagner, and this week we are addressing another reader question. She said, I have no idea how to keep three children on track when one asks a question or needs one-on-one help. It's like herding cats around here. Then I get frustrated, behind, and then overwhelmed. When I get to the overwhelmed stage, I almost throw in the towel because I don't know how to not drown. I can definitely relate. There have been days that I stopped to work with one child, turned around and realized the other one had gone off to read on her own or went off to play with toys, and I had to constantly pull them back. So today I'd like to give you a few ideas of ways that you can remove some of that frustration and to help keep your children on track. First, I want to encourage you to recognize that this is a process. Just like everything else about raising children, educating them, it's a process and an investment and it takes time. You may need to reduce the amount of academic work that you are requiring of your children and instead invest in helping them to develop good study habits and good work ethics. By investing time in developing that character, the ability to focus and to attend to lessons, you will be surprised at how much you can accomplish later because your children are able to focus and not get distracted. Second, I encourage you to have an approved list or basket of activities that can be used while your children are waiting on you. What is in the basket or on that list is going to be different depending on the ages and abilities of your children. You might have some toys that are only used during school time. Maybe you have copy work or map drill. Maybe you have some Mad Libs books or flashcards or some educational game or activity. Whatever you have on that list or in that basket, make sure that it is short. Make sure it's not something that they will get started with and have a difficult time stopping when you are ready to re-engage with them. By having him work on one of these short activities while he's waiting on you, He will still be accomplishing his schoolwork, still moving forward, but he can then come back and focus with you when you're ready to re-engage with him. Next, I encourage you to remove distractions. If your children have cell phones, tablets, computers, whatever that they might be using for schoolwork, have them put on Do Not Disturb. Turn off the ringer. We put our phones in a basket during school hours. If they need to get their phone out to work on an assignment, maybe they're doing their scripture memory, which we have in an app on their phone, they can go get it out, do the assignment, and then put the phone back in the basket. If my children need to use a computer for schoolwork, I have them use the, the computer in the same room where I am so that I can make sure they're not getting distracted on other websites when they need to be doing their schoolwork. If your children do not need access to the internet for their assignments, you could also consider turning the internet off during school time if that's a problem for you. Two other distractions for us include toys and books. 
If my children have the book they're reading in their free time sitting nearby, then when they get stuck, they are very likely to pick up that book and start reading. And then they get lost in the book and I have a hard time pulling them back. Same thing with toys. I try not to have a lot of toys around where we're learning because it's just too easy to want to go play instead of doing your lessons. So we try to minimize the distractions that are around while we're doing our lessons. One of the techniques that we have used since my girls have been really little and we still use today, it just looks a little different, is the 10-minute break, 10-minute lesson. When my girls were younger, we would do anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes of lessons, depending on what we were working on, and then we'd take a 10-minute break. So for example, we might read a story, and then I would have them do some copy work. At the end of those two activities, I would set my timer for 10 minutes. They could go play with whatever toys that they wanted to. They could go outside and ride their scooters. It was their time to take a a break. They needed to do something active, something not reading, go do something. But at the end of that 10 minutes, when the timer went off, I expected them to run back and be ready to attend with lessons. If they did not obey and come back when that timer went off, they lost their next 10 minute break. I guarantee children want those breaks bad enough, they will not miss very many. If they do not come back and attend to the next lesson when the timer goes off and you call them back and you are consistent and enforcing that they won't get the next one if they don't attend, they won't miss many of those. They will come back and be ready to attend with you. I want to encourage you that you need to do that also. I find it's very easy to go start a load of laundry during that 10-minute break, to go check my email, or to start accomplishing something on my to-do list. And if I get involved in an activity and I don't come back at the end of the break, it's not setting a good example for my children, and I can't expect them to to do what I am unwilling to do myself. So I try to limit what I do during those breaks also to be something that is quick, something that I can either stop or I know I can finish during the 10 minutes or just get up and move around with them. Now, as my girls have grown, this has changed a little bit. Our lesson time is longer between each of the breaks, but we do still do lessons, and take a break. Sometimes they are working on their lessons independently, and I have trained them to recognize when they need a break. Sometimes your brain just gets tired and you need to get up and move to get it re-engaged. And I've given them the freedom to do that. I can tell when they are procrastinating and trying not to accomplish their lessons, And during those times, I get involved and help them recognize when they need to work and when they need to take a break. I also have to be observant and make sure that my children are not using their break time to do something like read a book for fun or something else that's not helping them move and re-engage their brain. 
it is a learning process as you learn how to recognize what your body and brain need and what activities would be good for helping you to re-engage. It may also be helpful for you to use a visual timer during these 10-minute breaks. We have some timers by Time Timer, and I'll provide a link to that in the show notes, that you can visually see how much time is left. A little red disc disappears as your time decreases. That has been a real motivator for us to stay focused during our lesson time and to know how long we have before we need to come back. Next, I encourage you to transfer responsibility for their lessons. You can't just turn over their learning. It's a process. But during that process, you can help them to see that it's their responsibility to learn. You're only there as a facilitator. You cannot make them learn. So a couple of things that you could do is have these conversations about how this is their opportunity to learn about the importance of why we're learning. This is not just a chore that we're engaging in, that we are trying to build the skills they will need so they can learn whatever they want as they develop new interests. I also transfer responsibility to my children by using checklists. So we have a list of what it is they need to do for school lessons each day that they can be working through. Now, depending on their ages, we've used some different techniques throughout the years. Sometimes I have written their assignments in just a plain notebook and they could check those off. Sometimes I've used spreadsheets to create a checklist for them. Right now, they're old enough that they cross off of my homeschool planner what they've accomplished, and I go back and I cross it the other way. So it starts with just a check mark, and whenever I approve that it's actually done, it has an X in front of it. So that's what's working for us. Depending on your child, your family, you may need to use something different, but I encourage you to help them learn to work through using a checklist so that as they grow and mature, they can start assuming more and more responsibility for their lessons. And I've saved the best for last. The easiest way to not feel like you're hurting cats when you're teaching your children is to do as much together at the same time as possible. Make it a one-room schoolhouse. This has been my goal from the very beginning, that we do as much as possible together because then I'm not trying to herd individual children on individual activities. When they were younger, we only had a few individual activities, and those were mainly copy work and math. Essentially, everything else was together. As they've matured and gotten older, they have had more independent work. We've added in music lessons, and then we added in science and individual history readings. Little by little, I would turn over a little to them but we still do about an hour's worth of work a day together and we'll continue to do that through their high school years. So you might look and see what you can pull back on and have your children working on together as a family, build that cohesiveness and reduce your stress in the process. 
The other activities and lessons that your children are doing independently, I encourage you to look at how you can alternate those. I try to keep in mind if one child's working on math, I need to have my other child scheduled to work on something that she can do independently and is unlikely to need help, such as her piano lesson, so that I'm not having them work on two activities that will require me even if it's intermittently, to be involved with them so that I can truly focus with one while the other one is working on a different activity. If you have more children, you may need to look at how an older one could be helping a younger one. I hope that these six tips have helped you think through how you can focus your attention, how you can keep your children on track and how you can lose some of that overwhelm and not feel like you're hurting cats and instead feel like you are facilitating their education. Let me recap those for you real quick. One, recognize it's a process and this will take time. Two, have an approved list or basket of activities for them to work through while they're waiting for you. Three, remove distractions. Four, use 10-minute breaks and lessons and alternate those throughout the day. Five, transfer responsibility for their lessons to your children. And six, have a one-room schoolhouse and do as much together as possible. I pray that you can gain control of your homeschool and not feel like you're drowning, to feel like you are facilitating and teaching your children instead of hurting cats. You can access the show notes at triumphantlearning.com forward slash AHD007. If you have a homeschool or parenting struggle from which you have triumphed or a negative wisdom to share with the podcast listeners, I'd love to have you on the show. Go to triumphantlearning.com forward slash podcast guest to submit an interview request. Do you have a question you would like to be addressed on the show? Go to triumphantlearning.com forward slash contact to submit your question and I'll do my best to answer as many as possible on the show. And if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast and left a review, I'd really appreciate if you would take a moment to do those two things. iTunes bases their search results on positive ratings, so it really is a blessing. Thanks for your help. And until next time, I hope you have a triumphant day.